thank you for grace. Grace that is absolutely phenomenal. Lord, supernatural grace. Grace that can reach further down than what we can look up. Mercy that can come and rewrite lives. Healing that those virtues can flow. And there's not a need that could be among us that would not be met. Because you're that kind of a God, the one that we serve. And we're your children today. And we need you. We want your Holy Spirit, Lord, just to move in our hearts and lives. Lord, did you just speak, oh God, and reveal yourself to us in a mighty way. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, today. Lord, there are those that are in need spiritually and physically, financially, whatever it is. There are those that are looking for the mystery of their will, of your will for their life. There are those that have need, Lord, great needs among us. We're just looking to you, dear God, to speak, to reveal yourself, to anoint us by your Spirit. God, I pray that you'll just come in our midst today. Rise with healing in your wings. Lord, in my hands today is a little prayer cloth, a little brother up in Michigan with a brain bleed. The doctors have given up on him, but God, you don't ever give up on your children. We're asking in the name of Jesus that you'd have mercy, Lord, on this knee as we send it forth in your name. Oh God, as we pray the prayer of faith over this, we would send this little token from here. Lord, oh God, may your Holy Spirit go forth and bring healing and deliverance, salvation to your children. There are needy people. There's needy people around the world, Lord. There are those that are listening in with some very grievous needs. Father, just getting communication from India about a little sister, Phoebe, that has been so sick. They're looking to you for healing, Lord. Oh, God, as there's a prayer cloth on the way to them, may, oh, God, that when it's laid upon them, the evil spirit depart and she be made well. God, ever need, Lord, supply of your people. You hear the humblest heart cry. Lord, you care about your children and about their needs, no matter where they are, no matter what race they are, what nationality. God, you care. They're your children. We all have one father. I pray, God, that you'll just reveal yourself now through the word and make it real to us. Father, I know across the, the land, as we've heard reports one after another after another going home this week, seemed like just so many from this church, that church, another. Lord, I just pray you'll comfort your people today around the world, wherever they are. God, that you'll give strength to the weary. And that you'll give us a new hope and a new hold on the gospel today to believe for our needs, Father, as we are the, among the alive and remain now at the coming of the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for grace today? Amen. God bless you. Good to be in the house of the Lord together. 
Amen. We want to welcome you all in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. I'm just going to read a scripture and then you can be seated. So let's just go to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. It said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, for he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Amen. May God bless you as you have your seats today. Amen. I want to welcome each one of you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a privilege it is to be together with God's people. Nice to have the Kathy family with us today. Thank you for coming. Also, Brother Johnny Smith, God bless you. Welcome home, Brother Johnny. Amen. Amen. Welcome home. God bless you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. We pointed to Sister Doretha Sunday and said, God's doing something very special in your family. We believe that. Amen. Restoration. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Amen. Brother Johnny's a real servant of the Lord and loves the Lord Jesus. We're just really happy to have him with us again. Brother Sam Patton and his family's here. We welcome, want to welcome them today. Just so happy they could come over from Georgia way and be with us. And um, may the Lord just reveal to them the mystery of his will as they're seeking his will as well. You hear me sigh. I, I've... Um, this week has been quite a week as um, we just got uh, one report after another of many saints that have gone home to be with the Lord. Sister Benton, uh, which is Brother Jackie Benton's wife, passed away and, and um, they um, planted her as a seed into the ground waiting for a resurrection. And uh, there's been many, many others uh, that I could name that, um, and some that I don't know very well, but just hearing their names called and, and whatever, and the different prayer requests that have come in for us to pray for those that are struggling with needs, several deaths up in Tennessee and several deaths up in um, Cloverdale uh, area, several deaths uh, in Virginia and so on. Uh, different ones that we've heard about this week, and also uh, one of our minister brothers from um, Belgium, Brother um, Guido von Brandt, has uh, just passed away. Um, you know, uh, his going home uh, didn't make me feel real well. He was only two years older than me, so, you know, um, as uh, he, he left, um, he, he just... Um, just kind of uh, had his last notes, you know, that he had on his desk, and, and it was wrote, a new body. And so, you know, that's what he was looking forward to, was a new body. And uh, just wasn't, wasn't so much sick. He'd just come off of some mission trips and shared with us about that. Sat, it was like he sat down on the stairwell, laid his head down on his shoulder, and went home. Amen. So... Um, but back in August, Brother Ron Spencer had a meeting there in the North Carolina meetings, and um, they were 
not intending a prayer line that night. They just had mass prayer for everybody because there are many, many needs. And, and so uh, uh, he stepped behind the, the curtain of the stage there in the auditorium where they were having the meetings and someone came for prayer and then another came for prayer and another came for prayer and, and Brother Guido come running up and the Lord just spoke and, and, and told him, trouble lays just ahead. The train is coming for you but it'll be okay to go. And now less than six weeks later, two months later, he's gone to be with the Lord. And God knows uh, exactly our, our uh, day of birth and the time that he wants to take us home. Amen. But there's no such thing as death for a Christian. You just change dwelling places. Amen. So, you know, uh, we want to thank the Lord for those words of comfort as, um, as it was spoken, trouble lays just ahead. The train is coming for you. It'll be okay to go. And that's the way we want it when it comes our time to go. We want to know it's okay to go. Amen. But we're looking for the coming of the Lord to rapture the church. And we want to thank God that there are gifts that lay in the body, uh, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of, of uh, discerning of spirits, uh, gifts of words of knowledge that are given to us. Now, none of these take Brother Branham's place or, or um, even duplicate the ministry of Jesus Christ that was uh, displayed through that particular ministry that did what Jesus did. None of these are intended to impersonate or to take their place. They are just gifts that lays in the body, amen, that we believe in. And, um, you know, it's just like a um, uh, gift of faith. Or some people have great faith just to claim the promises of God and, and gifts of healing, gifts of miracles. Um, all of these things lay in the body of Christ. They all come because of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. And we're born into that body. I just, um, just wanted to share with you a little testimony that come in. You know, the, the other Sunday we prayed for a little a sister who who um, her husband had a typhoid-type um, fever that the doctor said, and their little um, two-year-old or about two-year-old uh, son was also come down with a fever. And, and uh, you know, we had sent a prayer cloth here some time ago and, and, um, to, to her because she has uh, cancer. And, um, and so she'd been taking chemotherapy and, and so on, and... And she, you know, um, asked for prayer, so we sent her prayer cloth. And I just told her to take that prayer cloth and go lay it on her husband and her child. And, well, the husband went to work the next morning, and the child was healed and running around and without a fever. <laughs> Amen. It's because God is still God. And he answers prayer no matter what it is. But she just shared with me, and I just want to share part of this. That when the, she said, when the prayer cloth reached me, I just finished my fifth chemo and came home and I, I held on to it and prayed and claimed my healing. What I didn't tell you was usually after my chemo, I cannot eat or drink. I'd be tired and in pain. It takes almost two to three weeks to feel well and mouth ulcers to go away. And the last three to four days, I can eat a little better. But this time it was different. I ate normal food from day seven itself. I wasn't feeling fatigue and no mouth ulcers. In fact, I was even in the, the cooking in the kitchen, running around, 
after my son, and even my blood work was normal, uh, unlike before. And the doctor said, if it goes down, I might need a transfusion, but it never went down. It only went up. And after my sixth chemo, I was able to eat normal food, and within four days, I forgot I'd went through chemo. I was surprised myself. I was eating normal, being normal, active. I, I'm sorry I didn't tell you, but I, I didn't have time to sit and write with my, my son running around, and I was so caught up enjoying and sharing the fall meeting messages. It's a blessing with my family and friends, and I shared that link to all my contacts so they could have a revival too. Amen. But I'm healed, sir. And no, in fact, I'm demanding my husband we should stop the radiation because it ain't required anymore. Our radiation is from the Lord. <laughs> Amen. These folks um, regularly listen in from India, and, and so we're just want to greet you today in the name of the Lord and right around the world, wherever you're assembled and are being with us. There was something just more that I, I wanted to uh, share about that if I could, because I didn't read you this whole thing, but she just wanted to, um, she said, God bless your congregation too. Said, I really love them. The love they have, the atmosphere that they create takes us more into his presence. So it's really, really important about the atmosphere you create. Remember, when you come together, we're not playing church. We are here to come in the presence of God and worship Him with all of our hearts and just um, let the Holy Spirit move in our lives. And, you know, you don't ever want to be distractive or whatever. You know, just sit patiently and stay in tune and do your part to pull on the gift of God because it's affecting somebody around the world. It may mean the difference for their healing or their deliverance. So I wanted just to bring that to your memory, to, to your attention today. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, we want to read from as we look into the Word of God today. Matthew 13 and verse 24, will you just read this together with me if you'll open your Bibles there. And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, there appeared also the tares also. And so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And he answered and said unto them, this is verse 37 now, he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. 
The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then shall go shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Always wonderful words of life. Reminding you of what we read in Matthew, where that he spoke. John the Baptist was the forerunner of the coming of Jesus. And um, he came as the Elias, Elijah prophet to uh, prepare the hearts of the fathers for the children to come on the scene, the children meaning Jesus and his disciples. And he told them, said that he that cometh after me shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Verse 12 of Matthew 3 says, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. And of course, a garner is a granary or storehouse or barn. And, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So now, as we're looking upon this today, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to set some um, foundational work as I go into this subject today because I'm going to be speaking on being born of the breath of God. And um, so, when, but as we look here in the scripture, we see that Jesus would also speak of the kingdom, and he defined the kingdom of God in stages of the wheat plant. For example, the seed, the blade, the ear, and after the, the full corn in the, in the ear. Now, the reason why that Jesus would use these parables was when the Jews rejected Christ, and thus would prevent him from reigning as son of David in the millennial kingdom, the kingdom then took on a different form. It became a mystery form. And, and so Jesus would actually tell us of the kingdom of God that he was introducing was a spiritual kingdom that would be in place until the millennial kingdom could come in where he could reign physically as the son of David with his bride, with his church. Now, so Jesus let us know that the kingdom as a wheat plant would go from grain, the grain planted, to the grain harvesting. In other words, um, that what was planted would be manifested in the harvest time. But in between those times, the kingdom would look like nothing like the original grain, like uh, the blade, the stalk, and the, and the husk looks nothing like the original uh, grain that was planted. Um, of course, we identify and say, well, that's a, that's a wheat plant, but it doesn't look anything like the grain. It's, a, it's green. It's a blade. It's not a, it's not a hard um, seed with life in it, but it is life in it, but it's now in a different form as it goes through its stages. And so the kingdom in between the two seeds would look nothing like the original grain until it come back to a mature corn in the ear again. 
Now, Jesus would tell us in Mark chapter 6, I mean, Mark chapter 4, verse 26, he would also tell us how the kingdom of God would be. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man cast seed into the ground, and he should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because harvest is come. So Jesus again would tell us and describe how that the kingdom would actually go from grain to grain, but in between those times, there would be different other stages. And these stages, um, they would possess different qualities of the life that was in the grain, but the resemblance and the look would not be the same, that there would be, uh, it, it would be the same church, but it would be in a different form. But it wouldn't be a, a mature form. It would be an immature form. And it wouldn't be a harvestable form. It would be a form that wasn't ready for the garner or the rapture. It would be a, um, uh, something that was in stages waiting until the grain come back again and the, the wheat would put on the full corn uh, within the ear. Now, th- according to the Bible, there are three groups that represents the church. Now, we know... There's only really one church, but yet at the same time, there are many groups that represent the church, all right? So there are these, there are two that are described in the book of Matthew chapter 25, where that he speaks of a wise and a foolish virgin. Now, both of these are under the umbrella of the word church. You know, and, but the, the wives will go into the marriage because they have oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now, the foolish, are, they're also virgins. They're a pure people. They, they're also a part of, of the group. But yet, the foolish have lamps, and that, which is a profession. But they have no oil. They, they have a confession and confess that Jesus is Lord but never go on to receive the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? They, and, and as a result, because they have no oil in their vessels with their lamps, they are cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is the great tribulation. Now, this group receives life at the white throne judgment. They're not lost. Now, let's get an understanding. You know, God is a God full of grace, and he's got a lot more grace than what you and I can imagine. We think a lot of times only if God, uh, God only deals with, with my little group or this little group or whatever, but God is such a big God. Amen. And he's a God that is such full of grace. He's got his children. He's got a bride that's an elect that is his church that's going into rapture. But according to the Bible, there's also another elect people who will go through the tribulation, and they will need further purging and will be given life at the white throne judgment. Now, we're going to look into some of these things as we look in the scripture uh, along, but before we do, I want to talk about another group that is also called the church. 
And this church is not a virgin. You know, the other two are virgin. They're pure people. They have works of purity in their lives. All right? um, and, but the other one is not a virgin. She's called the great whore. Now, she is found in Revelation 17 and 18. She also is a church. And unfortunately, she will be burned with fire. So now, already we're seeing something because this group is lost eternally. But he will burn them up like, as the Bible said, he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So now, the Bible, the Bible now tells that when the great Babylon comes up and remembers before God that he will stone that prostitute with hailstones weighing a hundred pounds apiece. If you look in Revelation 18 and verse 8, it tells about her plague shall come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judged her. So we can see her plagues will come, but it also tells us, and I didn't write the scripture down, but it's also in Revelation that he will, he will stone her with hailstones weighing a hundred pounds apiece. I'll tell you what, God, that's the fury of Almighty God that'll be poured out on the hoary system. But all of these are churches. So now we got a bride that's going into rapture. She is the church. We got a church that is going through the tribulation period that lays ahead after that the rapture is over and they will, they will, be, they will be hunted down by the beast and the false prophet and the great terrible persecution. And we already see things coming in order Right now in our very nation, as our nation turns from, uh, from being a nation under God to a nation who doesn't want God. And so you can see the very attitude and the spirits of people that are being changed. Even in Revelation 13, as it shows the beast um, uh, that rises up out of the land, which is America, it changes from uh, like a lamb to speak as the dragon. So it, it, it leaves its part of freedom of religion and begins to speak as a dragon did before them, which, which again, we're, we're living in a day where we're fastly losing our liberty. Now, but however, before that time comes, the, the bride of Christ is leaving here. Now, that's what our job is to do, is to try to prepare you for the leaving, not the staying. Now, there are those that are prophesying people right into the tribulation. But what we want to do is prophesy you right into a rapture. Amen? Because I believe that there is a rapture for the church. But then there's another group who is also calls themselves a church. And she's a woman also, but she's not a virgin. She's a whore because she's taken in the seeds of man, theology and ideas of man over the word of God. And God calls her a whore. And he will burn her with fire. I just read it in the scripture. He will also, he will also stone her with stones. Just like they did in the Old Testament where, that, um, where men and women caught in adultery were stoned with stones and burned with fire. God will do the same thing to the prostitute system. So again, it's important that we, we be in the right group. When, we, when we're a part of the church. 
We don't want to be in the church that receives the plagues in the book of Revelation. We don't either want to be in the church that goes through the tribulation. We want to be in the bride that goes in a rapture. How many wants to be a part of that bride? Amen. To escape the things that are coming upon the earth. Now, Brother Branham would tell, would tell us in the message, the token, he said, it's a type of today shown that we're facing another exodus. God bringing Israel out of Egypt to the promised land was a type of Christ bringing the bride out of the church to the promised land. We're in another exodus. Now, if you'll study the scripture, um, you know, as God brought a nation out of a nation, God will bring the bride out of a church. The bride will be called from all the churches. It'll be the elected of God will be brought out, and we're on the verge of that exodus right now, for we have every scriptural proof that we are standing there. And he said, I know it's been said a lot of times, but my friends, one time it'll be said for the last time. Time will fade into eternity then. He's coming to take a bride out of a church. And the token was the thing. Now, the token in, in Israel was the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Our token is the Holy Ghost. It's the sign that we must have so the death angel will pass over us. So the token was the thing that made the difference between Egypt and Israel, the two nations. They were all human beings, all God created, all the handiwork of God. But the difference when the death penalty was passed, the difference between life and death was the token. So will it be at the coming of the Son of God when he brings the bride out of the church, the difference will be the token. Now, listen close and see if it's true. The token will be the difference. There's got to be a difference. So notice these things as Brother Branham was bringing it to us. There is a difference between the church that goes in a rapture and the church that goes through the tribulation and the church that gets burnt with fire. Are you with me? Amen. Remember now, it's part of the wheat plant that gets burned with unquenchable fire. So it's shown in the scripture, some is burned, some is harvested, and some is for other uses. Right? Amen. It's because there, there's a use for other parts of the plant. The, the straw is baled for other uses. Amen. But the grain goes in the barn. It goes in the garner. But, the, but, the, but part of it gets burned with unquenchable fire. So, you know, you want to identify and see what part and realize what makes the difference. What is going to make the difference between the real church that goes in a rapture and the church that goes through the tribulation or the others that gets burnt with fire? The difference is going to be the token, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, so you see, as we're looking at this, there's coming a purification upon the earth. The Bible says so, that the earth will burn with a fervent heat. Uh, Malachi 4 says that we'll walk out on the ashes of the wicked because that the earth will burn. Yea, the wicked and all that do wickedly shall burn with, with them and will be ashes under the soles of our feet. This is the Bible, Right? So, you know, so there, the, so first, as we look at it, there is a church, and that church we call the bride, because he said, I will have a church without spot or wrinkle. And yet that church is also in a marriage relationship with Christ. 
And that marriage relationship, and Paul would use that in in Ephesians 5.32, and he would tell us, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, and he would define the man and the woman and the marriage between the man and the woman to show that the mystery of what Christ was doing, that he had come for the purpose of getting a bride. Amen. He come, he come to get a people who would be bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, life of his life, power of his power, all that he is, she is. Are you with me? So again, he would identify that. Look in verse 23 as he, as he defines it. Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. He would say Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy without blemish. In verse 30, he would say, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And he says, they too shall be one flesh. So now he is very clear that there is going to be a people that, that match him, that are bone of his bone and life of his life and power of his power. They have his life. That's what the token is. They have his life, the Holy Ghost in their life. They're, they're not just professed believers, but they are, are filled with the very life of Jesus Christ. They are of his species. They are of his genus. They came from him. They are going back to him. Amen. That she, this bride, is a perfect match piece to him. Amen. She, she can yield to him because he is the head. And she can surrender her life unto him because, and surrender her all because he's her husband. And so all all of these come into play in this relationship between the bride and Christ. Now, look with me in Revelation 19 and 7. Let's just get another word for this bride, Um, another scripture about it. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. So I, I want to just say something here while we're here, because the marriage of the Lamb is come. Well, species must marry species, kind after kind. Is that Bible? Amen. So every seed must bring forth of its kind, all the way back from Genesis. So now if the lamb is going to get married, he's going to have to have a lamb on earth that matches the lamb coming from heaven. So even as he was a lamb submissive to the Father's word, even so the bride will be a lamb submissive to the word. Amen. Now, so, and to her was, uh, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now mark that place because we'll refer back to it in a little bit. But now, so you notice there's a bride and there's going to be a marriage of the Lamb. There is a people that is being married to the groom. Let me just stop just for a moment. You remember everything God did through the Scriptures 
was really a reflection of the very longing of the heart of God. So when God dwelled alone and by himself, the lonely God, now before he was even called God, God is an object of worship, and there was nobody to worship him, so he's not God at this point. He has, he has the ability to become God, but he has to first make objects to worship him. Amen? So he would make angels, and angels would worship him, but now he's God when angels worship him. But now, but now, but he's Elohim, the self-existent one. He exists alone and by himself, and he has desires within him. He has thoughts within him, and these thoughts have never been released. And, and when he releases these thoughts, they're in the form of the word or the logos, and by the word, he'll create everything. So this is why he is thought of as father and a son, because he, as the father, he, he, out from him comes the logos through which he will create the whole world. Amen. He'll bring all things into existence. Are you with me now? So this is why this, when, when it comes back to the beginning of Christ, said in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And this word was in the beginning with God. And, and, and by the word, he created all things that was made. Right? So therefore, when God would say, let us make man, he is, he is speaking of, of what he is doing, not as, an, as the eternal spirit alone, but working through the very vehicle of the Logos. By the word, he begins to beget. He begins to create by the word. But now there's something in the heart of God. God is very lonely. He has dwelt for eons while there was no time. So of eternity, which we can't comprehend. Before time ever even exists or begins, and you can't even measure them in years because they're immeasurable because God always was. And so there in the eternal, as he there dwells alone and by himself, he has these desires. I want I want someone I can share my life with. I want someone that, you know, that will, will be uh, someone that I can, that, well, it'll just be me in another form. I, I want fellowship. I desire to, I, I, I'm lonely and I, I want fellowship. You know, when God made man in his image, how did he make him? He made the man, he made the man, but he didn't make a woman, Right? But the woman was there, but she was just in him. That's the way it was with you. I mean, you always were. Because when we see this lonely God, it wasn't that you didn't exist. You were just in him. Before the world ever began, oh, brother, that's why I'm trying to tell you, you're not a temporal being. You're our eternal being. You're coming from God. You're going back to God. You always were. You didn't just begin at the altar. Hallelujah. You didn't just become a son at the altar. You always were a son. You always were a daughter of God. No matter how lost you were, no matter how far you were out in sin, you were always his son. You were always his daughter. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Everything God has ever done is on account of you. The reason he made a world is because of you. The reason he made angels is on account of you. The reason there is a heaven is because of you. Yes. 
You're the central theme of God's heart. So don't let the devil come to tell you you're some kind of down trust something that God don't care about. You're the very thoughts of his heart. So when he makes man, he makes him in his image. So being in the image of God, you don't see a woman because to be in the image of God, the woman was in, the, was in Christ, in God, right? Amen. So here, where was Eve? She was there all the time. She was just hidden in the man. She was that hidden secret. Until God put him to sleep. And then when he put him to sleep there, Adam to sleep, he pulled out a part of him. And now, because why? He said, it's not good that man should be alone. Amen. God knew that. He knew what it meant to be alone. He, he wanted a counterpart. So this is why he began all of creation. This is why the Logos was released from him to begin with. Amen. So that he would have more sons of God, more daughters of God, more Logos just like him. They're going to be the word, the word bride, the word people. Are you with me now? So now, again, there he would put Adam to sleep and he would pull out the elements that was necessary to form Eve. And I can imagine as God formed her. Can't you imagine as his fingers formed her carefully, her face, and he pulled there and began to develop and began to, to look into that. No doubt his eyes were looking way beyond this little piece of clay he's working on right here with a rib from Adam. And he's thinking, one day, I'm going to go to sleep. One day, I'm going to be hung on a cross. One day in my sleep, there's going to be something coming forth from me. And there's going to be elements of water, blood, and spirit. Amen. That will come from me, from my body. And it'll be the elements I'll form a bride out. And once I get that bride, I'll never be lonely again. Because it's a different, listen, it's a different form of fellowship. If I could explain it to you, and oh, God, help me to, to do this. But, you know, do you know you are greater than angels? You're only made a little lower for than angels for a time, for the purpose of temptation and sin and whatever we've had to go through. But, but, but friends, that's not our original position. Our original position is, is, is to be the very image, the very likeness of God. Amen. Now, you know, I've had a lot of nice animals in my life. I've, I've had goats and cattle and, you know, I've had, I've had dogs. I've had some, in my lifetime, I've had wonderful dogs. When I was 50, I, when I turned 50, if I could go back to my childhood, my desire was to be a veterinarian. So, you know, I, I, loved, I loved animals. I was just an animal lover. And I hated dog pounds. I would, I would curse every one of them I come by, killing all them wonderful dogs. I'm a little, old, I'm a little older now. I kind of appreciate them now. <laughs> For animal control. <laughs> but you know, but, uh, you know they, they, my, some family members called me Timmy Dog because I love dogs so much. I had a lot of wonderful dogs. You know, you can pet a dog. 
You can just love a dog and talk to him, fellowship with him, tell him about everything, and he just wags his tail. You know, looks up at you, you know, got a pretty little grin on his face, his tongue lolling out of his mouth. And <laughs> but, you know, fellowshipping with a dog is nothing like fellowshipping with another human. I can tell a human thing, something and they understand something that I'm talking about. I could go and, you know, in my tenure of raising dogs, and I used to have kennels of them and so on and raise different breeds of them from beagles to rat terriers to hounds to everything. I've been through it all, and, and, I, and I'd build a dog house. And the dog would sit over there, watch me build it. I'd say, okay, it's all finished. Dog wouldn't get in that thing. I'd have to chain that dog to that thing. And only when it would start raining or something will it finally run into it. You could fix it up just as nice, that dog wouldn't get in that thing for nothing. Because, you know, all you could not convey to it what you were doing for it and the good it would bring. Amen. But you see, when you, when you come to another human being, it's somebody of, your, of, of an equal intelligence. It's on the same lines of fellowship. And this is what God is wanting to do with you, is to elevate you to a place of, of a fellowship where that he, you and him can have a fellowship together. That you've got things in common. You understand what, what his purpose and his plan is. And when he says, I've made a heaven for you, you want to go to that heaven. Amen. You want to be a part of everything he has because he is telling you, bringing things to you, up to you to share with you his innermost secrets. And his secrets was, you know, before the world began, I cared for you. I had you on my mind. I knew you were coming. I made plans for a honeymoon. Amen. And before the tribulation comes, I've got a rapture promise for you. I'm not going to leave you here to fend for yourself, but I've got an escape from the Laodicean age. And there's going to be a harvest in the last day. And you're a part of that harvest. You will not be left behind, but you're going to go with me. And as my spirit leaves the earth, you're leaving with me. Hallelujah. And there's a marriage supper of the Lamb. I ain't sitting in an extra plate. And I don't have an extra crown. I know exactly which one of you are coming and who you are. And I plan for your place at that table. And there won't be one of my children missing there because I'll bankrupt all of heaven to make sure they're there. But even all of that, I know there's going to be some that you love left behind. And I've made a place for them too. That after the tribulation is over, I'm going to take them into life also. Would you like to read that with me? Let's look in the book of Revelation. And for this we'll find chapter 7 and verse 9. Revelation 7. Amen. 
And I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. And look here. They're of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues. Amen. Don't you like that? Amen. That means that no matter what nationality you are, you know, they're, they're there. And they stood before the, the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed with white robes and palms within their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sit upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and, about, and the four beasts and, and fell before the throne and their on their faces and worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered and saying to me, What are they, these, which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Now, if we would have read the whole chapter, we would have seen that from the, from the different tribes, the 12 tribes that were coming, 12,000. So there was 144,000. And he knew, he recognized these. These were Jewish people coming from the Jewish backgrounds. But now notice in this that he's asked, um, you know, who are these? And John doesn't know. He doesn't recognize these. These are not um, a tribal people. These are not Jews. And he said, sir, thou knowest. And he says, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before, notice this, watch their position. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now, I want you to notice this does not match the overcomers in the Laodicean age because they don't sit with, because um, they sit with him on the throne. Look in Revelation 3.21 real quick. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. So we see now this is a different. These are before the throne, but the bride sits with him in his throne. And notice now as we go back to this Revelation 7, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall there be sunlight on them, in, on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Oh, look how gentle he is with these. Look how loving he is, like a shepherd. But notice, notice this after the tribulation is over, because they have come out of great tribulation. So this is the other side of the tribulation. After the tribulation is over, this group is seen, cared for by the Lamb, who leads them to living fountains of water, which is eternal life. So if you turn with me to John chapter 7, verse 38, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. For, but this he spake of the Spirit, 
which they be, that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So I want you to watch this very carefully. These people had done works of sanctification. In other words, they had went through different stages of purification. They had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And they were sanctified. Now listen carefully. They were sanctified through their works of washing. They were not given robes of righteousness, but rather made their robes white by washing them in the blood of the Lamb. Now, note this is different from the bride who did not get white robes by works, but rather as a gift. A royal grant, you know, that fine linen, which is none other than the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is given by grace. So turn with me to Revelation 19 and 7. Let's just look and see the bride. It's a royal grant that is given. It's not works of, of sanctification where, you know, well, well I'm going to quit this smoking or I'm going to quit this drinking or I'm going to lay down drugs or I'm going to try to be good to my neighbor. I'm going to carry uh, firewood to the widow woman. I'm going to do all these works. And, and all of these are what this other group did. They did works to purify themselves. But this group is just given by grace. Not something they earned, but because of just the unmerited favor of God. So he says in verse 7, Revelation 19, 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, and that fine linen is exceedingly soft and dazzling white. This linen would be sold for twice the, the price of gold. Valuable. She should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So I want you to notice the difference. Notice one is working for purification. Going through steps, I, you know, I'll quit this and I, 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 I'll reform here and I'll try to do right here. And this other one, he's not, it's not works at all. It's something just granted to them by the baptism of the Holy Ghost that brings them into his righteousness, not their own righteousness. And this group in Revelation 7, after the tribulation is over, they are led into eternal life. So they're believing unto. But it's not until the white throne judgment when they're before the throne and are divided as the sheep are from the goats. And they're judged according to the deeds done in their bodies. Let me just get something clear. You... The bride of Christ will never be judged for the deeds done in your body. It's all gone. He took away your filthy rags and exchanged it for the greatest exchange that there was ever. And that's the righteousness of the saints. 
So now we find that these had to go through the tribulation period for purification. She has to be purged for her sins of unbelief and rejecting the message. So the, the, the sleeping virgins had to go through the tribulation for more purification. Because it wasn't ready. If you look back at the parable of the wise and the foolish, the, both are virgins. And, and, and one goes into the marriage, the other goes into weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. They go into great tribulation. But both are virgins. Are you with me? Amen. The difference is one has oil, one don't have oil. And the one has oil goes into marriage. The one who doesn't goes through tribulation. Because they were dilatory. Come on. Slothful. And somehow or another did not prevail all the way into receiving the true baptism of the Holy Ghost. So you see how important the Holy Ghost is. Amen. Now, Brother Bradham would say she's not the bride, but it's the church, the pure people that didn't have the opportunity maybe to receive the message or in some way were blinded by these false prophets and they didn't get a chance, but they were really sincere in their heart. And God knows their heart and hear their purge during that time. I'd say, what a merciful God. Yeah. These don't go into rapture. They're not in the honeymoon, which is a millennium. But they come at the white throne judgment, where they're separated as a sheep from the goats. Again, let me just share another little thing about it. Here he said these tribulation periods, saints, they come up, went through great tribulation. Now the church will not go through the tribulation. Talking about the bride. See, they're already in glory. And here's the tribulation saints, the sanctified ones, being it's mine or your fault, and your fault that they never heard the word. If they heard it and rejected it, they went on to hell. They was cast into outer darkness because they rejected the word. But if they would never uh, have never heard it, God is just. The tribulation period comes to them. Notice the saints are washed by the same word because it's the same altar. Now, and, but he said they're there because we never took the word to them. That's the reason they was like that. We never took the word to them. We're going to be held responsible. And, we, and so we'll not be able to catch all the peoples. The church won in this age that's got the truth because they'll go through the tribulation. They're not the saints that died way back yonder in them church ages because he said they come out of great tribulation and the great tribulation is yet future after the church goes home. So now they are those that come out of great tribulation. Now, so they, they stand before the white throne judgment. And remember... The saints, the true saints will judge the earth. They will sit with him on his throne. But there's going to be multitudes brought before him during that time that will, will, will be divided as the sheep are from the goats, as a shepherd would separate the two species, right? So now they're separated like sheep from the goats. The church members come up. They've heard the truth. If they heard the truth and rejected it, then what's going to be said when the great big things spread across the canvas, when your own, own thoughts will be there, when you thought about what you thought about it? How are you going to escape? And it's right there on the canvas of the skies and God's great television. There's your only, own thoughts rebelling right. Your own thoughts will speak against you in that hour. 
So if you speak one thing and think another, you better stop that. Get your thoughts on God and keep them pure. Stay right there and speak the same thing all the time. And say, well, don't say, well, I believe it. I say, I'll say I believe it, but I'll go find out. You believe it. Now, these, the reason they die out, they go to the purging of the tribulation because they are not actually under the blood. They claim they are, but they're not. So how can they go through a trial to purify them when the blood, of bleached blood of Jesus Christ takes every symptoms of sin and stuff away from you and you're already dead and your life is hid in God, in Him through God and sealed in there by the Holy Ghost. What are you going to be judged for? What's your purification? What do you have to be purified from when you're already perfectly in Christ sinless? What's the judgment for? But this sleeping bunch is what the, the people can't, can't make out. So now, what we're trying to tell you today is that's what the true baptism of the Holy Ghost does for you. It removes every symptom of sin. Amen. And it'll lead you into all truth. Now, how is it that they're not truly under the blood? This is a group of people that are washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb. But they're still, you know, doing things to, to be purified because they're not, now this is going to stumble some, they are not fully born again. They have just gone through some of the requirements of the birth, like believing on the Lord, confessing Him as Savior, and maybe done works of sanctification, but they have not been filled with the Spirit. Now, remember, the difference between, between the, the church and the bride is going to be the token. That's going to be the difference. Amen. Both of them are virgins. Both of them are good people. Both of them have their names in the book of life. Somebody with me? Even in the Lamb's book of life, their names are there. Amen. But, but the difference is, is one has the Holy Ghost and one doesn't. And because of that, one is the bride because she has his life and has his spirit. And the other, his great mercy has just overrode their blindness and gave them life. I say, what a merciful God. Now, let's just talk about this minute. Because, again, Many are calling themselves born again when they're not truly born again, or maybe they've just started in the initial steps of the new birth. Let's look at it this way. Let's go back to the, the, the origin of the church. The origin of the church is on the day of Pentecost. That's where she was born of the Spirit of God. And and there she was a born-again church. Remember, this was a very new thing. The Old Testament Jews knew nothing about a new birth. This is why, you know, in the Old Testament laws, if you were born uh, because of a sinful birth, let's say a bastard child, well, you know, you were, you were um, never allowed into the congregation of, of the children of Israel and into the temple worship. You wasn't accepted. And in ten generations it would take to breed that one sin out. So it was a horrible thing. Adultery was so bad in the eyes of God. 
And remember, God had a plan. He wanted to have a, a people that through he could bring a virgin. And a virgin would conceive. You wasn't going to find that among the Gentiles because sex was in their religion. As they did their drunken orgies and things around their gods, they, they participated in sexual acts. So there was, that, that was, there was no, no such thing as purity among the Gentiles. So, you know, for even the Gentiles to be saved, it was going to take something different because we didn't have a lineage of 10 generations to breed out all the cull. Amen? Somebody with me? Amen. So Jesus introduced a new doctrine, and that doctrine was you must be born again. Well, you thought they thought would well, just be born of the seed of Abraham. That's good enough to be Abraham's sons or, or his offspring. That's God's chosen people. That's good enough. But Nicodemus is told, no, you've reached a time that it's not going to work just to be born in the lineage of Abraham. You must be born again. There is required that there's a new birth that births you out of sin and into righteousness. <laughs> so they started out, everybody knew what the new birth was. It was the receiving of the life of God. When the Holy Spirit came in the church, that was the breath of God that had come into the church on the day of Pentecost. Nobody was confused. And when, when they asked Peter, what shall we do? He says, repent every one of you. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises to you and to your children and to them that are fall, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You see, there was no confusion. Everybody knew what it meant to be born again. But it didn't take long for, as the church was planted, remember it would be planted as a seed. And that seed, a seed deteriorates. And it begins to break down and life comes out of it and, and the old seed rots away and out comes a shoot. And it doesn't look anything like the grain, but it's still, it's still the wheat, it's still the church, but it don't look anything like the original. And this began to happen in the early church. The, the first thing you know, the church isn't look like, like what they were on the day of Pentecost. They were, they were still the church that God called as, as his own, and God is still moving on them, sending revival, sending his, his Holy Spirit rain upon them, but still, at the same time, they don't look anything like the seed because that's not going to come until you come back to harvest again. And at harvest, there's going to be a group of people who will look exactly like the seed that was planted. But yet it's... The bride all the way through. It's God's church all the way through. There'll be a resurrection for all of them all the way through. Amen. But now, it wasn't long until the devil began to get in the book of Acts church. There were people that were bypassing the new birth. In Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 15, there was people bypassing the new birth by, by they were Pharisees which believed. So how did they remain Pharisees and still be a believer? They hadn't died to the teachings of man and their own ideas, and, and they were trying to incorporate their past thoughts into the new message. So therefore, they would hybridize or change to try to change the, the, the gospel. Um, Paul would call it a bewitching. He said it's actually witchcraft. It's a demonic influence that is trying to take you away from the original gospel. 
And he said, if you preach anything other than what I preach, you, you'd be a curse. For if an angel would come from heaven and preach any other gospel than what I preach, let him be a curse. But what would begin to happen now as, as these poor people received the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost? I say poor meaning they were impoverished. They weren't wealthy, the wealthy of the land. You know, they, they heard the message preached. 3,000 were saved. Amen. Added to the church and filled with the Holy Ghost. And then the house of Cornelius and Gentiles were saved. And my, there's revival going on. And, and the Holy Spirit is moving. And there's miracles and there's signs and there's wonders. And the Holy Ghost is, is filling people. And they're speaking in other tongues. And they're shouting, rejoicing. They're, they're, they're getting the same experience that they did on the day of Pentecost. Everybody with me right now? But it wasn't long until, you know, they, they, as these, these miracles were being witnessed and, and were seen, you know, the, the bosses of these people, let's say, would, would see them and say, oh, yeah, um, take me to, I, I, I want some of that. I, I want to go to that church. And, and they would embrace Christianity and they'd go down to, you know, where they were in meetings in that little dark, dingy hall and clap their hands and shout and speaking in tongues. And I'm quoting from the second seal here. And he said, and getting messages. And said, why? He could never take that to his competitors or his associates or whatever in his business. He could never believe it like that. Certainly not. He's got to dress it up. So they begin to get together and say, we'll form a little something different. And so Jesus would call this the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He said, there's a spirit that is coming to conquer the laity and to overcome the laity. Now, all these are Bible terms. you find that in the book of Revelation. So you see, to, to overcome the laity, you see, they wanted to take out of the church the resurrected Lord Jesus with signs and wonders among the believers and just change them over into formalism. You know, kind of dress it up, make it where the rest of the society of the church could receive that. You know, it'd be a little easier to swallow if everybody wasn't shouting and rejoicing and, and speaking in other tongues and messages coming like that. Let's, let's kind of, let's, let's have a, a dignified church. And so the devil then winds up getting in the book of Acts church, you know, and begins to take away the power of God, the signs and the wonders. Remove all the emotion from the pew. Amen. Take even the amens out of it. Amen. Place it all upon a holy ministry. Amen. Where the priest does all, does everything and, and whatever can forgive you of your sins. They can you know, bring you in or keep you out. They will be the mediator between you and God. Sounds like some of these backslidden message people that want to preach today. Amen, trying to say, you know, that, that now that they can be the intercessor, you're nothing more than a Catholic. But, you know, but again, you see, but again, the, they would begin to lose the truth of the new birth. And the Catholics would reduce it further by simply, the new birth now began, began to mean that we're just born into a Catholic family. Now, if you're not careful... The same thought can be passed along that I'm in the message, you know, I'm born again just because I'm born into a message family. 
Amen. Physical birth will only birth you into sin. It'll never birth you into life. Every person must have his own chance at the word. Amen. To receive or reject the word. Amen. To have their own revival. And so it doesn't come because my daddy was a Christian and my granddaddy was a Christian, so I'm a Christian. No, the, the only way you can be a child of God is to be born of God by the Holy Spirit. So again, you know, it, it would be reduced. I mean, it would be until, uh, you know, if you're born in this family, well, you're a Christian because everybody in this family is a Christian. Well, then Luther come along and said, but, you know, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And, and this became his message as he got a realization, but it's not being born physically in the church. You've got to have You've got to have faith in Christ. And so Luther came out of the Catholic Church and received that revelation. So he taught that faith was the new birth. That for you were justified or declared righteous by faith. Now, so again, now it's not being born into the Catholic Church as a new birth. But now they understand you've got to believe on Christ to be born again. Amen. Now, Wesley would come along, John Wesley in the Methodist movement, he would teach sanctification, but there's got to be a sanctified life that goes with this. So he would call this the second blessing. He taught that a holy life must come with believing on Christ. And after you believe, then you become sanctified. So now, now it is understood to be born again means to, I must, be, um, I must believe on Christ and I must live a holy life. And then the Pentecostals, especially the Assembly of God, which was the, the first part of the movement of the, of the Azusa Street Revival, they taught after you, that you were saved by believing, but then you uh, received added power after receiving the Holy Ghost. Now, I, I just want to say to you, in all of these things, in all the denominations out there, the truth of it is people... Many people are believing on Christ. And some, some are, like you said, they're just there because of family members. But some have an actual profession of faith. They have professed Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they have accepted him as Lord of their life. And, and so they have believed on him. But, but again, I want you to understand Believing is not the same as receiving because you must be born again by receiving the Holy Spirit into your life. You're not truly converted until you receive the Holy Ghost as they did on the day of Pentecost. Now, the evangelicals believe that you receive the Holy Ghost the moment you profess Christ as your personal Savior, you got the Spirit of God. You know, Joel Osteen, this is a common prayer of his, and this is what he does. Uh, He says, you know, you just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. I make you my Lord and Savior. Amen. And then he says, we believe if you prayed that simple prayer, you have been born again. So to them, that's to be born again. That you just repeated this simple prayer after somebody else. 
and said, I make you my Lord and Savior, wash me clean, come into my heart. And Romans 10 and 9 does say, I'm going to get this, that thou, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I want you to notice, thou shalt be saved, and confession is made unto salvation. It is not salvation. To confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and ask him into your heart is a good beginning if it's done in sincerity. But you must continue on to salvation. Amen. That's what you believe when you accept Christ as your personal Savior. You're believing unto the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But that's not the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Salvation is thought to be you know, for one to be saved in their sin rather than from their sin. You know, Peter, let's just go to him for a minute. Peter knew by divine revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? So he professed him as Savior, as Messiah, the one who comes to save. Amen. And it was by divine revelation, but he didn't get the Holy Ghost unto Pentecost. Are you with me now? So the, you see, um, here was Peter. He, he followed him for three years. He had his name on the Lamb's Book of Life. He had cast out devils. He'd done great works. He'd healed. He preached the word, everything, but he still wasn't converted. Because, you see, you're leading to conversion. You see, the Bible said that he that cometh to God must believe. So that's the first part. You must believe. Amen. You must believe that he is and that he will reward those who diligently seek him. Amen. So the first parts of it is you must believe. You're not going to get the first base without believing. And I want to say to you who have believed, congratulations, you got the first base. Amen. But you got to keep on moving. You can't camp down there. There's more to it than just believing. You must receive after you believe. Amen. Now, it's like leading to conversion. Now, Jesus typed it as a birth. So, in the birth, there is a conception. So, the conception is first, but no baby yet. Right? Although it's a life. And, and we believe that people sincerely die in that condition and you know, never having a chance to, to go on with God and receive the Holy Ghost. We believe that person will, will be saved, that there's a place in heaven for them. But friends, to be a part of the bride, I want to get it back to you. You're going to have to have the Holy Ghost to go into rapture. There is a difference. God is making a difference between the church and the bride in this day. Amen, because now the word has been restored. Now, so you see, uh, when, a, when a baby is conceived in the womb and then is developed and it's in the second stage, but the baby has to be born. And when that baby is born, it receives the breath of life. 
Now, we can't say there wasn't life there before, but there's a different life than that life. Amen? Now, Peter had believed on the Lord. He had confessed him as Christ, but he wasn't yet converted. Let's just look here in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. It said, Simon, Simon, behold, uh, Satan hath desired you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. When you're converted, what do you mean, Lord? I, I, I'm the one that got the revelation. Dr. Christ the Son, the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon. But my Father, which is in heaven, he's revealed this to you. And on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because every person must have that, that first rock confession of who Jesus is. Amen. That he came to seek and save that which was lost. And he's my Savior. He is for my redemption. His blood was shed for me so I can be filled with his spirit. But he said, but when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Now, during his time of sifting, the trash was exposed in his life. You know, to sift that wheat was like winnowing the grain. You take it and you throw it up in the air. The grain falls down, the chaff gets blown away. The trash gets blown aside. Right? Amen. So I want to I want just get something to you. All the sifting in the world that Satan could do to Peter could not make him not be grain. It couldn't change him. From being grain. The only thing that happened would be expose the chaff and blow that away. Amen. But when Peter come down to it, you know, when the trash would, was exposed in his life, he would deny the Lord three times. And he would curse and say, I know not the man. And then he would weep bitterly about it. Oh, he would be so sorrowful. He, he would be so repentant. I, I've sinned again. I, I've done it again. Sounds like a lot of people in their Christian experience. They have a confession of faith, but they're truly not yet converted. Because when in a bind, they'll deny the Lord and by their actions say, I know not the man. And then they'll weep bitterly because... With all their good intentions in their trial, they have habitually over and over again denied the Lord. There's so many believers like Peter. Are you with me? That go through this over and over and over again. They, they, in the time of sifting, it's discovered when the winds of trial blows, the evil is, is discovered that has been clinging to their lives and is exposed. And, and they go, I know not the man. They'll come to that point of denial. Now, there had to have to be something that would happen to that Christ-denying, cussing preacher, Simon Peter. 
And on the day of Pentecost, it changed forever. Because what had been conceived by believing on the Lord now was birthed into sonship. And the life of God came into him by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And you never find a, from that point on a cussing, lying, denying, Christ denying Peter. But you see somebody in the face of adversity, in the face of imprisonment, his cowardness is gone. There's a holy boldness in his life. There's a power that lays within him that no matter what he faces, never, never, never again will he ever deny the Lord because now he is converted, changed forever. And we got churches full of Peters today. Amen. I'm not saying at all they're not good people or sincere or even didn't, didn't have a real sincere uh, confession of faith and believe on the Lord and accept him as Savior and really believe on that. But there's something still needs to happen to change them. Because this Holy Spirit, when he comes, he seals you to the day of redemption. Now, you know, so now on the day of Pentecost, he's given the key to the kingdom. Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you have believed? This is a whole of our problem right here. People repent of their sins. They get baptized in water, but they don't go on and receive the Holy Ghost. You believe unto receiving the Spirit. Believing on Jesus is a step in the right direction, which is toward the Holy Ghost. But people stop there. They, they go as far as the water and then stop. They believe and then stop. And this is the way you find them in Acts chapter 19. They had been baptized by John the Baptist. That's a pretty good person to be baptized by, don't you think? They had believed, but, yet, but, but had yet to receive the Holy Ghost. For they said, we didn't even know there was to be such a thing as a Holy Ghost. We, we thought just believing on the Lord was enough. We just thought being, believing, and baptizing was, was all we need. And he said, well, have you received the Holy Ghost since you have believed? Now, this is the question comes right down to it. And it's the question that's going to make the difference between the church and the bride. Amen. Because the, the, the one has believed, the church going through the tribulation has believed on the Lord unto salvation, but has not yet been converted. And the other has been converted by receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, they can go in a rapture. They have the oil in their vessels with their lamps. They're not just professors. And they're not just cleaned up people. Sometimes we think that's what we got to do. We just clean people up, get them to change the way they dress, the way they talk. You know, you, you quit using your expletives. You, 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 you start doing this and you reform them. It isn't a reformation. It's a transformation. They have no power for they stop short of Pentecost. And that's the thing. Now, Brother Branham would explain this about the red heifer. How God made a way for reconciliation in the Old Testament. And that was he would, God would instruct them to take a red heifer. A heifer without blemish. 
And there they would take and would burn her with, with, with scarlet and with, with cedar. All of these reds, the reds, uh, the red thread, the, the red um, um, cedar, and then the red heifer. And they would burn them together to make a water of separation. And this was so that there would be a cleansing so that they could come into the tabernacle for the, into the presence of God. So the first thing a sinner does is he comes and he hears the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So he comes convicted that he's a sinner and he's without God. So no matter how long he's going to church, that don't mean anything. All these, all this, all these things has a spiritual meaning. Well, you know, because listen, anybody can come in and get baptized. Amen. Let somebody baptize them, but water will never wash away your sins. You know, who can, you know, you have them stand up and we can even sprinkle a little. Anybody could and a little water on you. Holy water won't cleanse you. It won't, it won't save you. People can make a cold and dried profession say, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Well, every devil in hell believes he's the son of God. Amen. But the coming to church is good. Attending church, though, won't make you a Christian any more than going to a barn makes you a horse. You know, but really to come in fellowship with God means you accept the blood. It's been applied to your heart by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And you become not just a partner with God, but you become in relationship with God, a son and daughter of God. Amen? Now, so you see, it's good to come to church. It's good to be baptized. But everyone coming into divine fellowship with Christ he has, to, he has to recognize that before him went Jesus Christ with his own blood sprinkled away, put the stripes on the blood and went in. Not like Aaron with the blood of an animal, but with his own blood. And he stands in the presence of God tonight, right now, making intercession. Amen. So let me tell you, you know, you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you you are in the presence of God. You are in the holiest of holies. You're in the presence of the Shekinah. And that's why that we know the Lamb hasn't left the mercy seat. Because where I am, the Lamb's there. Amen. Where I am, healing is there. I can see he was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by his stripes, I am healed. Amen. So he's sitting right there. And brother, he'll make good anything we confess to be true. And that'll make demons tremble, sinners come to life when they recognize we have an intercessor. That we have a God there that will do more than just shake your hand and bring you into the fellowship of the church, but bring you into fellowship with Christ. Amen. That'll satisfy that loneliness that's in the heart of God. Amen. Plunge you beneath the blood. Now, let's just go to a principle in the scripture. I've got a little more time. But in John chapter 3, let's just look there. You can turn there. It starts with, you know, where Jesus begins to talk to Nicodemus. You must be born again. And he would say, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. So the water is the word we are cleansed by. So now notice, it's a great thing to come to the water part. 
And that water part of the new birth and get washed. And washed from all your sins. Washed from all the false doctrines and embrace truth. That's one part of the birth. But like Brother Branham said, don't just come this far and say, I believe the message. You must have the token, the Holy Ghost. And that's the breath of God. So you see, again, he would say, in, in, uh, in John, he would make, make it plain. The Spirit is the breath. To be born of the Spirit is to be born of the breath of God. For Jesus immediately, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about after the new birth, he'll describe the wind as the, as the breath. And in and, and John 20 and verse 22, he said, when he said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. So Jesus knew the coming of the Spirit as a birth, and he likened it as to a wind, that the, that the new birth of his offspring would be to be born of the breath of God. Are you with me? So he says, marvel not, I say unto thee, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it cometh. And whether it goeth, and so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, it came. It came like a rushing mighty wind. Hallelujah. Amen. The high priest didn't know where it came from. It certainly didn't come from them. The Pharisees didn't know where it came from. It hadn't come from them. They didn't know where this wind came from. But from him, from his own being, came a breath. Amen, the breath of life. And it filled the church. And for the first time in all of history was a redeemed son by the blood of the Lamb born of the Spirit of God. And on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 initially that would be born of the breath of God. God breathed the breath of life into them. And now that life into them was his life. And that breath into that church was his breath. So therefore, the power that was in him was in them. Amen. And the healing that was in him was in them. And the signs that was in him was in them. And everything that he was, they were. Because he breathed life, his own life, his own breath into them. And they became a new creation. They became a divine species. They became God-men. They became God-indwelt. Amen. And they went out and did exactly what Jesus did. Amen. They went out of the upper room with the spirit in action. They were Jesus men and women. They raised the dead. They discerned the hearts. They cast out devils. They healed the sick. They spoke peace to the sinners. They showed God to the world. Somebody help me preach now. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. They became God-breathed. Now, let's just see what he, what he says this about you. He says, as a man, God made you to be a ruler over all things. So this clearly means all things. A man born of the breath of God is the word of God. They came from his thoughts as Jesus did. 
Then they reach a point in time, and he breathes life into them. John says, beloved, now we are the sons of God. Paul would use Old Testament scriptures to prove to us our sonship. And he says in Psalms 22, 22, I'll declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. So I'll declare thy name unto my brethren. God has brethren. What I'm trying to tell you is he calls you family. That you are kinfolk. Somebody help me preach. Isaiah 8, 18, for I behold I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. The children who the Lord hath given. Paul said in Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That means to be made to be made to the same essence of his character. Hallelujah. Amen. That he might be a, somebody help me say this, firstborn among many brethren. So God's great design was not just to have Jesus as his son, come on, but to have many sons, many daughters. Amen. That would be God breathed just like him. Hallelujah, that would come from, from his thoughts into word. Hallelujah, and the word into manifestation. Are you with me now? Amen. So Jesus calls us brethren. He, God became a brother to man when he took on humanity so that we as man could become a brother to God. And he calls us family. You're his family. Look over, look over at somebody and say, I'm part of God's family. Amen. He calls you every family title there is. Look at the Bible. He calls you bride, wife, sons, daughters, brethren. Every, every, every title of, of relationship, of family t- title, he gives it to you. Amen. Oh, my. Listen, and not only that, he stooped down to us. To pick us up and elevate us to sonship. When you and I were lost. Amen. And in dirty garments. Somebody help me preach now. He made it the greatest exchange for your life. He he made it where that you could be arrayed in white linen, clean and white. Amen. Which is the righteousness of the saints. Is that right? For the Bible said he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he stooped down because God's mindful of us. He was so mindful of this generation that we've been through 2,000 years of church history until the gospel has been diluted and watered down with men's theology, but we return back to the land of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That is not just an anointing that comes upon us and that leaves. But it's the breath of God that has filled us with eternal life and power. Hallelujah. Oh, my. This is it. I just want you to understand, friend. When he said said to Israel, he said, let my people go. When he said that about Israel to Egypt. Are you with me? Amen. Let my people. People go. God has a relationship with you, my people, my sons. 
Israel is my son, my firstborn. And if you don't let my son go, I'll kill all your firstborn. This is God's decree. These are my children, my sons. They're born of my life. They're born of my power. They're born of my breath. Hallelujah. Now, listen, Brother Branham would bring this down in, in the blasphemous names. He said the church is a mystical body of Christ born of the breath of God. Ooh, did you get it? He says the church of God is born of the breath of God. God breathed breath into the nostril spiritually of Adam and he became a living soul. Did you know the true Pentecostal church is born of the breath of God? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, so Jesus said, the, the, the spirit is like the wind. And the wind is the breath of God. We know this. That when the breath of God enters us, that we're changed forever. As our soul then becomes alive. You see, man can't see where it comes from. And he don't know where it goes when it leaves. But we know this. When it leaves this mortal body, we're gone with it. Amen. Adam became God-breathed. He became a living soul. God breathed eternal life into him, which he would later forfeit for Eve. Remember? But what they've turned down, we come back and accept. Amen. And Adam became God-breathed, and he became a living soul. Come on. He breathed the breath of life into his nostril, and he became an eternal soul. God breathed, not what nature done, what God did. See, he wasn't born of a natural birth, didn't come from a woman and then get a breath. But the Bible says of him, God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. Hallelujah. Now, Adam would forfeit this. Amen. He would forfeit this for his wife, Eve. Amen. But I tell you, friends, as we come down to it, remember on the day of Pentecost, God's got another church. Amen. She has been formed through his ministry of three and a half years of ministry, walking on the earth and teaching and doctrine, and they've believed on Christ, and they've accepted him as personal Savior, and they know it's either that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all of these things, and they've been through purging, and Peter has went through his purging, and they come down to repentance, and they've been baptized in his name. Is anybody with me? But, oh, brother, God wasn't through with just a water baptism. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind and God breathed upon his church and there was a church that rose to their feet. Hallelujah. That was of his life. That was of his power. They found that, oh, that she was him. Amen. That he can say, this is now bone of my bone. And this is now flesh of my flesh. And she is life of my life. For she is God breathed. Amen. Now, every son that is born of the word of God or God breathed is when God breathes the breath of eternal life into them. As Brother Branham said in spoken words, original seed. All sons, all God's sons must be the same. Yes. To be born of the word and the spirit brings us back to the spoken word again, like in John 3. 
To be born of the water and the Spirit, what does it do? It brings you back to the place where you should have been at the beginning. And that was the reason of Christ's death, to bring us back to where? Sons of God. Now, let's look at this scripture for a moment. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3.16. I'll wait till they get it on the, on the screen just a moment. Let's just get some of these points together. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, that word there is translated, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But actually, it comes from a Greek word, that, and it means this, literally, all scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So all scripture is God-breathed. Amen? Amen. Actually, every word that I spoke has been breathed out. And when God speaks a word, it's his life breathing out his word. Are you with me? Now, this is the only use in the Bible of this Greek word, uh, Theophanutos, which means God breathed, inspired by God, due to the inspiration of God. So the word of God is formed by God's own breath. Stop for a minute. That's why this message didn't come from a denomination. This message didn't come from a school of theology. This message was, came from God's own breath. God breathed a message in this last day to an end time people. He would prove that he was here, that he was present, that he knew the heart, that he knew the thoughts, that he knew your address to show you that he was present because God was breathing a message. Amen. I want you to understand this is what the message of God is. The word of God is formed by God's own breath. And when a man speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, uh, you know, and, and God speaks to a man, it's the life of God, the Holy Ghost, forming his words as a man will speak as God's oracle. For the Bible said, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. That means it's the Logos coming out. Amen. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. We got a lot of words that are out there that are just dead creeds. But when Jesus speaks them, they are spirit and they are life. Amen. Now, you see the power of God's breath. In, the, in divine inspiration is shown throughout the Bible. God breathed the breath of life into Adam. Amen. Jesus breathed upon his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Amen. Peter said we, that the, the prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were moved by the Spirit. It was God breathing. Through, the, through those men of God and, and speaking his word. So these are the types of the scripture. But every son of God is born of the word of God. So therefore they too are God breathed. 
Amen. It's when God breathes eternal, the breath of eternal life into him. Now, I want you to go back to Revelation 19 and 9, and let's look carefully at the scripture that defines the bride. Blessed are they that are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, let's just go back to what it says. These are the true word of God. These are the true logos of God. And remember, the logos comes out from his breath. He breathes his word. Are you with me? He breathed his breath, and more sons are born. Amen. He breathed into Adam, and he received eternal life. He breathed into the church, and the church received the eternal life. He breathes into you, and you receive the Holy Ghost, eternal life. Is that right? Amen. But I want you to notice these that are going to the marriage supper, they are the true sayings of God. No, no, you, you didn't get what I said. These that go in the marriage supper, they are the true sayings of God. They are the true word of God. Amen. Because they are God-breathed. They are God's own word. We're not just saying, John's just not saying what I've said is true, and it's the true word of God. He said, these that go to the marriage supper, they are the true logos of God. They are the very offspring of God. They're the very life of God. They're the very power of God. That's who they are. Amen. No wonder then we can believe in miracles. Hallelujah. Because the Logos, we are that Logos. We are that word. And that word has a power in us. Hallelujah. No wonder we can live right. Amen. Because the word is a power in us. Is somebody with me now? Because these that go in the marriage supper, they are the true word. There are other words, but this is a true word. There are other gospels, but this is a true gospel. You are the true word of God for this generation. Hallelujah. You are the logos. Those that are called are the true logos. They are the thoughts of God breathe. A word is the thought of God breathe. If it isn't breath, it never comes word. But when God breathes it out of his thoughts, and it comes from thoughts and conveyed by the wind of his spirit, it becomes word. And when you came from thought, hallelujah, where you were once only in the thoughts of the, of the lonely God. Are you with me now? But oh, now you are now made manifest and have become God-breathed. That what God has in his thought have been propelled by his spirit out onto the stage of time to be the word demonstrated for your age and your time. Jesus was the true word of God and the bride will be the true word of God. Jesus was the true lamb in comparison to the woolly lamb. Somebody help me preach now. Amen. He was the true lamb. Now that lamb was true, but this is the true lamb in comparison to the woolly lamb. The woolly lamb was only temporary. It only worked for a time, but Jesus was the true lamb. 
This was a lamb, but this was a true lamb. Is somebody with me now? Amen. This is, these are the true sayings of God. This is where we come back to where the seed was that this is the true grain. Just like the original grain. This is not the in-between where the life passed through the stalk, but what was in the beginning is now at the end. And what was at the word at Pentecost is now the word at the end time because they are the true sayings of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. The others that never come to a full birth, they go as far as confession or conception of belief of Christ, but are never born of his breath. Now, this is what's got to happen with the church. Because in the church, there's been too many rotten eggs. Because the church hadn't been with the real mate. They never received the germ of life. Are you with me? And this has been the problem. Is that the babies has come to the birth. But the church hasn't had the strength to bring forth. So in Luther's time, you know, it was time. It was, it was time that should have been a birth. But they didn't have strength to bring it, so they brought it just as far as justification. And Wesley would bring it just as far as sanctification. And Pentecost would bring it just as far as the restoration of the gifts. But in this day, there's strength to bring forth birth. There's a church that is being born of the word. And these are the true sayings of God. That's who you are. And not only that, but what he did, since you're the word, he granted that you be arrayed in the righteousness of the saints. Remember, you know, a lot of customs in the wedding time is something borrowed, something blue. Something, whatever. I don't remember all the slow saying. Somebody, someone, one, some, one of these girls will know. But anyway, do you know, let me just tell you for this minute. The Bible said he granted that you be arrayed in the righteousness of the saints. Did you notice he didn't say my righteousness? He said the righteousness of the saints. Of course, it's his righteousness. But do you realize the righteousness that was in Abraham? Come on. Let's go back for a minute. Abraham, I mean, excuse me, Jesus, he was not the woolly lamb. He was the true lamb. We're not Abraham. We're the true Abraham. Abraham was only prophesying of us. We are the word he was prophesying about. He was prophesying, are you with me now? He was prophesying that he would go from from faith into grace, into the baptism of the Holy Ghost, into meeting Elohim, to the change of the body. He prophesied your whole life and it's laid right out in Abraham's life. 
But I want you to know, you are not wearing the, the sins of Abraham. You are not wearing the unbelief of Abraham. Come on, church. You're not wearing where he lied. Amen. You are only wearing the righteousness that he showed back there. And here you are wearing the righteousness of the saints. Amen. Over a people that are wearing the righteousness of Enoch. Amen. Who walk with God and be was nots. Amen. What about a people who wear the righteousness of Esther? And I say, I am crowned for this purpose. And because I'm crowned, I'm going before the king. And I'm going to go tell the king what the hangman has been doing to the sons of God. Amen. Oh, that ought to be the cry that rings out of this church. Esther, amen. Put on those garments of Esther. And go tell, go tell the king what the devil's been doing to our children. Go tell the king what the enemy's been doing, how he's robbed our kids, how he's taken away our healing, how he's taken away miracles from the church. Somebody don those clothing of Esther, put them on, amen, wear the righteousness of Esther, and go and tell the king, and tell the king, king, look what Haman's been doing, look what the devil's been doing to our children. So that all of the scripture that spoke of the bride you are here fulfilling, what has been spoken of you because you are God breathed. Life has come into the word. Now life has come into Malachi 4. Now life has come in the book of Esther. Now life has come into Abraham. And now life, hallelujah, and life is coming into a body. And today in this building right here in 2019, you can be filled with the breath of God. And there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And they were filled with the breath of God. Stand to your feet and let's worship God. Hallelujah. (coughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Oh, breath of God, breathe on me. Amen. Born of the breath. Born of the breath. Born of the breath. Amen. Not going in the tribulation. I've been born. Born of the breath. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, take the words that were spoken today. Let them find a resting place. Speak to hearts and lives, Lord. Cause us to believe. We're believers. Breath of God, breathe upon us now. In Jesus' name. Breathe upon the sick. As I send this to a little preacher laying in a nursing home, Lord, thinking he's forgotten. God, you hadn't forgotten a one of yours. As it's laid upon him, may healing come. As a breath of God breathes over him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let it breathe on me. Let it breathe on me. Let the breath of God. Let it breathe on me. Come on, sing it. Let it breathe on me. Let the breath of God 
Now 